0: Brother Abbott, you know how it is. Some faces you can forget and some you just can't ever forget, see? (laughs) Oh, praise God. Well, isn't the Lord good? Now, I'll let you stand just for a few moments because you've been seated for a long, long time. Uh, The minister started this morning at 7.30. And uh, we're still going, and here it is noon. Praise God. Now... After hearing all the things that I've heard this morning, starting with Brother Sism and the wonderful remarks and the word of the Lord he brought to us and the reports that he brought to us about the missions field, then Brother Connors with the outstanding message that he gave to us as he unburdened his heart, then Brother Fuller's message, I'm sure that you could be dismissed, Wait till the evening service and feel that this has been a very, very full day. Uh, Without anything that I would say, I'm sure that you would uh, say hallelujah to this day. But I have been asked to speak. I do have something to speak on that I feel that is extremely important. Extremely important. And I prayed that much about this... uh, I don't want to to draw it out and make it lengthy, but it is a subject that I'm not going to be able to cover in just uh, maybe 30 minutes or so. So we trust that uh, I. you pray for me that I'll be able to keep you awake. Now, <clears throat> the reason why I say that because I did look around and saw some people sleeping. Now, when people sleep on me, I get offended. I get real timid, you know, and offended. I... I want to just close my Bible and go to the room and sleep with you, you know. Just, you sleep and I'll sleep. Uh, praise God. Now, I'm amazed at how much of the word of the Lord we can, we can take. Reminds me of a story. And this, this was told on, on a gentleman back in East Texas. You want to stretch a little bit? <clears throat> praise God. You want to be seated then? Why don't you go ahead and be seated if you want to. If you want to stand, that's all right. But... Uh, <clears throat> I uh, I'll just tell this story, and uh, <clears throat> you can you just at your leisure. If you want to step out in the aisle and listen, that's all right with me. It's told on a, a, an old boy back in East Texas. We used to raise watermelons. Oh my, cotton and watermelons. Uh, I enjoy a good watermelon, but I, I can't eat watermelons without think of thinking of the many many times I mean hot days. I I stood in those sandy fields and. Loaded those watermelons. Uh, we we just gathered melons, big melons, long melons, big melons. i have thrown those things up into semi-trucks until I thought I was going to die. This uh, one old boy was down by the road, and he sat on the wagon, and he was just a sandy-haired, redneck boy. and didn't have much education. Wagon full of uh, watermelons and he had a for sale sign up there and so much of melon and a guy in a nice shiny Cadillac stopped and he was going to buy him a watermelon just passing through our part of the country. So uh, he got to look at all the melons. He said, my boy, these are the biggest melons I've ever seen in my life. I said, there's nobody in the world can eat one of these. And he says, oh, I, I can eat one of these. And the guy says, I'll bet you $20 that you can't eat one of these melons. And so he just uh, got to thinking about $20. Now, that's that's a whole week's pay. But he got to thinking, but I'd hate to lose that. So he looked at it for a long time, and then he just said, I'll be right back. He jumped off the wagon and tore out up the trail that led to his house, the road. Stayed in the house for... 10 15 minutes, he came back down and he says, I'll bet you $20 I can eat that melon. So he hops up on the wagon and splits it open and I mean, he eats every last bit of it. So <clears throat> the guy gave him $20 and he purchased one of the smaller melons there. Before he left, he said, By the way, he said, I want to ask you this question. How come you had to go to the house? for about 15 minutes he said well I got to thinking about it that is a mighty big melon and I'd hate to lose 20 dollars but I knew I had one up the house about the same size and if I could go up there and eat that one I knew I could eat this one too <laughs> good to have an appetite for the word of the Lord is it <clears throat> praise God hallelujah hallelujah well let's give the lord a good hand clap praise god hallelujah hallelujah blessed be the name of the lord take your bibles and turn with me to first corinthians the first chapter and i want to read verse 17 18 and 21 and this getting up and down will help you so just go ahead and stand and then let's go to Galatians, the 5th chapter, and we want to read verse 11. So from 1 Corinthians, the 1st chapter, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And then verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And then from Galatians, the uh, fifth chapter, I want to read verse 11, and only verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. God bless you. you may be seated what paul is speaking of in both places he's speaking of the the cross becoming of none uh, of no value at all to mankind in galatians the 5th chapter verse 11 he speaks of the offence of the cross as ceasing now the cross has an offense because it diametrically opposes human nature. It is uh, the nature of man to feel that he has to do something for himself in order to see something accomplished. He's talking basically about circumcision, and uh, he's saying that if man is saved by circumcision, then he said the, the offense of the cross ceases. Now the power of the cross is in the offense of the cross because everything relative to the cross diametrically opposes human nature. And I want to speak to you today on the subject, the cross removed. Basically, this is a lesson on forgiveness because that's what the cross is all about. When we take a look at our present condition, that is, we have been made new by the birth and by the power of the Holy Ghost. I believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is essential. I believe baptism in water by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential to salvation. I believe that repentance is essential to salvation. I believe that with all of my heart. But a very careful look at myself, even though I have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Ghost... I feel even after that initial birth, it is necessary that the cross be alive in my life. Quite frankly, I do things, I say things, I manifest attitudes uh, that lead me to believe that I cannot make it without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. For too many people, the cross is just kind of a one-shot thing. They 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 come to the altar, they receive the baptism, of the Holy Ghost, and from that point on, it, it it's almost like that the cross is just a, something that that they think about occasionally, uh, maybe Easter or some other time when the preacher's preaching or the song leader is directing uh, a song uh, relating to the cross and, and the need of the cross. But I personally believe that that uh, all of us are in need of the cross every day. All we have to do is take a look at the condition of mankind prior to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. What if Jesus would not have come into the world? What if all of a sudden uh, God had changed his mind and, and, and the cross was, was subtracted from the pages uh, of, of human history? What kind of a world would we live in right now? I personally think that the Apostle Paul addresses addresses the church at Thessalonica concerning the Antichrist. And I personally think that he says that that the the church is the sole force in the world. It is the hinder of lawlessness in our world today. Even the wicked one cannot be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. But let's, uh, let's just for a moment use our imagination and think about our own personal lives, what we would be like if Jesus Christ had not have come and died for us. What do you think you'd be doing today? What do you think the world would be like? Now, there are so many people that are doing so many good things in the world, and this has created, this has created a, a force against evil to hold back evil forces. When Satan shall come in like a a flood, God shall raise up a standard. Where sin doth abound, the grace of God doth more abound. But take all of that out of our world today and leave the pages of history without the cross. And what kind of a world would we live in? Now, I'd like for you to just take your, your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And we want to look at a, a scripture that, that poses some difficulty for some people. And I'm going to attempt to explain this scripture in the light of, of my subject. I think if you will bear witness, uh, I say bear witness, if you will look in your scriptures, in the scriptures, you will, we will find that my definition bears witness of this. Hebrews the 10th chapter verse 26, the Bible says, For if we sin willfully... After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, the interpretation that I put on this, I say, certainly think is taken in the context of which it's written. Uh, the The context here is dealing with, dealing with willful sins. That simply means that uh, even after you have come to the Lord, if you are willfully sinning, that is, you're doing something that you know that's wrong, but you just keep on doing it. Uh, Paul is saying, or the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, uh, that, that there's just no sacrifice. There never was a sacrifice uh, in the whole plan of God that was designed to to cover willful sin. It just wasn't. You you may be repenting over a thousand things that you feel that you're guilty of, but If there is one area in which you are hesitant in, or you're reluctant in, and you are doing it, and God's dealing with you, and you know that you're in violation of the word of the Lord, uh, and you continue to do it willfully, I mean, you do it without hesitation, uh, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was not designed to take away that willful sin. So as a result, there will be a spot on your garment that cannot be cleansed, because you are willfully involved in something that you should not be involved in. This is the reason why that in private devotion quite often I find it necessary for me to just roll up my sleeves and put my elbows right down on my altar and put the Bible right between my elbows and pray, God, help me to be uh, an obedient servant. Uh, you see, the, the whole purpose of sin is to destroy the will. And when the will has been destroyed, man cannot be saved unless through some miraculous power the will is revived. Uh, you, you, you cannot be saved unless you want to be saved. See, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's said in the book of Revelation, when we gather around the throne of the Lord, that all of us will gather around the throne of the Lord. Whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. God's never had a dispensation in which he did not give man a choice as to what he wanted to do. The angels that uh, existed long time before man was placed on the planet earth, they were given a choice. Satan, along with the third part of all the angels, decided not to serve God. This is where our evil forces come from that are present in our world today. in every dispensation from the time of Adam on down to this present dispensation. uh, Choice is involved. The the will of man is involved. Uh, The dispensation to follow this one, the thousand years of peace upon the earth when Satan will be locked. And, and cast into the lake of fire for a thousand years. And man will serve the Lord uh, simply because that the cross will reign with a, an iron of rod. Uh, a rod of iron, rather. Uh, the Bible tells us at the end of the millennium that, that, that Satan is going to be loosed and he will go forth into the four corners of the earth to deceive man. Uh, basically, what I get out of this is that even at the... Even after people have lived under uh, the, the, the the reign of the Lord for a thousand years, it, it, it seems like that there is a point in the mind of God that, that just cannot be satisfied until, right. un, until man is given a free choice. And so he exposes man to evil so that man will make a choice. Do you want to continue to live the way you've been living for a thousand years or, or do you want to go by the way... Uh, of satan and so it will be said that when the final curtain is pulled upon time and we all enter into our uh, eternal place in which uh, we will live forever that nobody will be in heaven uh, unless he's there because he chose to be there so if we sin willfully After we have received a knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. God, help me to do and have a will to do what you want me to do. If your preacher is preaching to you, and he's preaching to you things that you understand he's taken out of the Bible, it's not, not taken out of a magazine someplace, it's not coming out of a successful living book, it's coming out of the Bible, the manual of life. and and you're finding it very difficult, you need to pray that God will give you a will to do that. Because Satan and and sin is designed to destroy that will. Now, there is another thing that I want to take a look at, and that's found in, in the book of Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter, the Apostle Paul addresses these people. Now, keep in mind that these are are Christian people. This is a church. And uh, he talks to uh, those at Philippi. Galatians, the third chapter, verse uh, 17, he said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an end sample. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Is it possible that... God could save a man, and later on he become an enemy to the very thing that saved him. Now Paul says, yes, that, that's possible. And he brings about uh, the situations that could cause us to be adverse to the thing that saved us. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, now whose end is destruction. Now here are the conditions, he says, whose God is their belly. The word belly here means innermost being. That's uh, taken from exactly the, the same word that, that's found in John the 7th chapter. Out of his belly, or innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Paul is saying that their sole purpose in life is to seek self-gratification. In other words, uh, uh, I've got to have my own way and I've got to be pleased. When, when you reach the point that you, you live solely for yourself and for the pleasures of yourself, Uh, We do not extract eating from this because it could be put into the context of this, but just uh, let me have my own way and let me be pleased. Uh, There are going to be things about the preaching of the cross that that will not please you at all. It will hurt you. It will cut you because it diametrically opposes human nature. But uh, if you come to church only to be pleased and be satisfied... From the standpoint of self-gratification, he said, you become an enemy to the very thing that saved you. The second thing is they glory in their shame. That simply means that uh, they brag about their shortcomings and their faults and in many cases their their sin. Uh, How many times have you heard people uh, tell about how they lost their temper with somebody and, and they go on and on and on, I really gave her a piece of my mind, I told her off. And they pass judgment on somebody. Uh, uh, young people sometimes can become guilty of this when they say, well, we went to youth count and pastor wasn't around there and found out that several pastors would allow this, that, and the other. So I decided I'd live by somebody else's rules rather than by the rules of our own church. And they brag about it. Young people can go off to school and they say, well, Mom wasn't there, Dad wasn't there, so this is what I did. And they boast about it and they brag about it. Paul said, you become an enemy to the thing that saved you when you start boasting or glorying in the things that are shameful. And, of course, the last thing, he said, they mind earthly things. Somebody asked me what this really meant when they mind earthly things. It simply means they keep their mind on earthly things. In other words, uh, they're constantly thinking about cars and houses and materialistic things and, and, and not the salvation of the souls of men. Paul says, now, when these things become predominant in your life, you become an enemy to the very thing that saved you. Now, inasmuch as the cross is a symbol of forgiveness, I feel that this is the area that I am compelled by the Holy Ghost to talk to you about today. Let's turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter. We've been hearing a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. Brother Fuller took us there. Uh, I went with you to that point yesterday in the Scripture. I want to look at the prayer that Jesus prayed, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Luke 11 also, but I'd like to read it from the book of Matthew. Now, there are several things in this that we could point out to your attention. But because of, of uh, this being a very lengthy day, uh, I think that I should only cover the very things that are necessary. You may want to do a little more extra study on your own. I want to read the whole prayer, though, uh, and then uh, we want to, to look at how the Lord concluded this. Uh, Be not ye therefore like to them, verse 8, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before ye ask of Him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now notice... Jesus said amen, but if you, if you look at the statement following this, he goes back to a particular part of his prayer, and it's like like he just said amen and he kept on talking. It's just like when I called te- down to Texas. My mother lives in Texas. I grew up in, in Texas and lived there uh, 28 years of my life. When I call back to my mother... Uh, I can't uh, stop the conversation. She will not allow me. I can tell her now, it's time for me to go to church and I've got to go. She says, okay, bye. But she she doesn't stop. She just keeps going. She said, bye. And she says, our church is doing real good. Is yours doing okay? I talked for a while and I said, look, mother, I've got to go. She says, okay, bye. She said, have you seen uh, Brother and Sister Rutherford or Joseph and Jim lately? (laughs) And she just keeps on going. You know, she, she won't let me stop. And it seems like that the Lord did this same thing when he said, Amen. Usually at the conclusion of a prayer, when the Amen has been said, it's time to change the order then. You go on to something else. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, Amen. And he went to something that he had stated in that prayer. And this is what he said. For if you forgive men, not their trespasses, your Heavenly Father Well, if you forgive men their trespasses, pardon me, your Heavenly Father will forgive your trespasses also. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now this is not the only place in the Bible that Jesus brings this principle to us. Uh, Time would not permit me to turn to all of the passages, even in the Gospels in which this is mentioned. So we'll deal with this one. I'm sure that you're familiar with the others. Now, because the Lord constantly repeats this, I think that uh, uh, we we should take very careful note. If you see things repeated throughout the Scripture, uh, you you have to take careful note. Uh, For an example, you you find throughout the Scripture that that God constantly talks about the doctrine of Balaam. You'll, You'll find He mentions this. He also talks about Esau. There are certain things that God just seems... To not be able to get out of his system. Uh, Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam is one thing. It just seems he, he, he impresses it to you over and over and over. He talks about Esau and about him selling his birthright. And over and over and over he emphasizes this. Uh, you find in, in the book of Revelation the word Babylon is mentioned. It's mentioned in the prophecy of the Old Testament, long time after Babylon fell seems like God couldn't get it out of his system. He had to keep calling our attention to Babylon. Make sure that this doesn't happen to you. He also talks about the wicked Jezebel. seems like God never could get this woman off of his mind. The wickedness and the perversion and such she brought. So when, when God mentions something over and over and over, uh, we, need to, we need to take careful a careful look at it. And, and this is what he does with this particular subject. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Basically what he's saying is that, that if, if, if you take the cross that is alive in your life and should be alive in your life, and if you remove it, so that uh, you will not forgive men who, has tra- who have trespassed against you. In other words, you remove the cross from your life. Then when you look back to Calvary, there's going to be an empty hill back there. There's not going to be a cross standing on that hill either. And uh, I talked to you yesterday about just how logical that God is. He, he, he tells us that, you know, if we see a brother or sister and they have a need and, and we do not supply that need, then he says, I'm not going to supply your need. That's that's just how logical God is. Basically what he's saying is that if in the event that you do not find in your heart uh, 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 the mercy, enough mercy to forgive an individual, why would you expect it for yourself? So you you automatically or an enemy to the cross that saved you, if you are so selfish that you expect forgiveness, but uh, you, won't, uh, you, you will not grant forgiveness. <clears throat> now, let's talk about true repentance. True repentance is all, is necessary to be saved. Uh, there is no way that you can can, can repent, uh, no way you can be saved, rather, without repenting. It is absolutely necessary to repent now the original law that's found in the book of Genesis and later on is explained twice in the book of Ezekiel is the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Now that, uh, that was the original commandment of the Lord given to Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them that of all the trees of the garden of Eden that they, should, they could touch and eat up except the tree of knowledge of good and evil which was in the midst of the garden. Of course, they were tempted by Satan. They ate of the fruit, and of course, they became guilty before God. So the soul that sinned shall surely die. Now, there's a lot of people that feel that once God says something, that he 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 never he never changes. That he's always the same. Uh, I I have a message that I preach, and I'm planning on preaching it in the very near future. Uh, It it, it is entitled, You Can Count on God, that God is extremely predictable. If you do certain things, he'll do certain things. If you act a certain way, he's going to act a certain way. He's extremely predictable. The Bible tells us in the book of James that every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights of above, in whom there is no variables, neither shadow of turning. So we can read certain scriptures, let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays, And we can draw the conclusion, Brother Connor, that every time God speaks, that it's always this way, and it never is any other way. However, when it comes to the soul of man, I'm here to tell you, my friend, that God did change his mind. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. But Jesus came along and said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In other words, he made an exception to that original rule. Right. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You will find that, that uh, this exception is carried even further than just that, uh, uh, just in the area of repentance. Uh, uh, a man by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he said, good master, what must I do in, in order to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus made the exception in the area of salvation. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. The exception is if you repent. If you'll be buried in the in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the prophets of old that said the mercy of the Lord and do it forever. Certainly knew what they were talking about because they were talking about God making an exception. This is the reason why they had sacrifices in the Old Testament and the cross that stands that stood upon Golgotha's brow stood upon Golgotha's brow simply because God looked at mankind and knew that man needed to be saved and He made an exception to that original rule. Now I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts, the second chapter. And we want to look at Acts 2.38 just for a moment. It was quoted by our superintendent, Brother Connor, this morning. And Acts 2.38 is a very, very beautiful scripture. When men come before us to be licensed, we give them a Bible survey. Uh, In the state of Wisconsin, if you uh, cannot pass a Bible test, you simply do not get licensed. Preachers ought to know the word of the Lord. And it's not that we're trying to be tough on them, we're just trying to challenge them. If you're going to use the Bible, you ought to, uh, I mean, if if you're going to be preaching from the Bible, you ought to know how to use the Bible. And one scripture that we require of localized men is Acts 2.38. You've got to quote it verbatim. You'd be surprised at the men who do not quote Acts 2.38 correctly. Acts 2.38, and I read it, I could quote it, Look at it in your Bible. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you're going to get licensed, you've got to quote that verbatim. Now, where most people miss it, this is where they miss it. They say, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. But your sins is not in there. It just says sins. And the reason why that I feel that it just says sins because it, in, in harmony with all the other scriptures in the Bible that I know about forgiveness and repentance is this, that when, when you fully repent, you also forgive men of their sins. And so those transgressions that have been, been uh, uh, against you have been forgiven by you. So when you go down in a watery grave... You are not only having your sins remitted, but at the same time you offer forgiveness for all the sins that have ever been committed against you. If you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Now I could spend a lot more time on that, but I do not feel that it's necessary. But it is amazing to me how many people can go down in the water and come up and and right away just start fights with people. All kinds of uh, problems and such uh, develop. I think it's because that to them, baptism was for the remission of their sins and their sins alone. And maybe they were missing out on something that was extremely important that is taught in the Scripture. Uh, They simply thought that repentance was just, uh, God, forgive me of my sins. But it's more than that. It's... It's forgiving all of the sins that have ever been committed against you also. Matthew, the fifth chapter, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us something about settling our differences with each other. So from Matthew 5, verse 22, I start reading, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it hath been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever uh, shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rackus shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say thy fool shall be in danger of hellfire." Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Now notice what he's saying. He is not saying if you bring your gift to the altar and you have bad feelings against your brother, go to him. That's not what it's saying. If you bring your gift to the altar and you know that your brother has bad feelings against you, you get up leaving your gift there and you go to him. Is that what the scripture says? So that you are to initiate the move. In other words, uh, perhaps uh, you have done something. You you may not know what you have done, but but for some reason feelings have been created. And, and uh, you're just shaking his hand, and, and, and you're just normal in your, your relationship with him. But there's, there's a coldness there. Now Jesus puts the buck on your back. He says it's your responsibility. You know, it's, it... It's like the man that knocked on my door and, and he, he wanted me to give him something. And, and I did give him something. But he said, you know, the Bible says you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, it, it just seemed to me like he's missing out on something here. He's put himself on the wrong side of that commandment. You know, <clears throat> he's saying it's your responsibility to give to me. Now, I, I could never feel knowing my Bible like I feel like I feel that I know it, that, that it is your responsibility to give t- to me. I should never feel that way. No, it's my responsibility to give to you. In other words, he put himself on the wrong end of the commandment. See, he's got himself on the wrong side of the story. He's on the wrong side of the coin. Uh, he's knocking on my door and says, give me something and so you'll be blessed. No, the Bible says every man ought to work. So that he have need of nothing because you have heard, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Put himself on the wrong end of the commandment. And this is what we do quite often, where there's coldness and such, and we say, well, I don't know what his problem is, but uh, uh, it seems like he's got a problem, but that's his problem. We just kiss him goodbye and let him go. No, Jesus said, I'm going to place the responsibility squarely on you, that if there's a problem between you and your brother, it's your responsibility to go to him. So let's do it like this it's whose responsibility it's my responsibility let's do this we're going to get this down in our heart take your finger and point it at yourself if your brother has ought against you whose responsibility is to clear it up wow. it's mine now i'll tell you what we usually try to do we try to circumvent the laws of god So we get on the telephone and we call somebody else and i wonder why in the world the man's got ought against me what have i ever done to him See? And after a while we say, He owes me an apology the way he has treated me. Now there is not one commandment written in the Bible that tells me that your brother owes you an apology. See? You go. Whose responsibility? It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's always my responsibility. Now, let's just take and turn the coin over though. And let's take a, a look at uh, uh, an, another situation that the Lord talked to us about. Found in the book of Matthew, the 18th chapter. This is dealing with a subject that is, that is uh, very similar. It's talking about the discipline of, discipline of the New Testament church. Uh, verse 15, the Bible says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against you. Oh, now we reverse the situation. The first situation is he has ought against us. In other words, we probably did something wrong. We're not really for sure. Maybe, maybe you are for sure. But at but any rate, uh, there's coldness between you and your brother. It's your responsibility. Now, the situation is, he has done something against you. Now, you, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just treat him coldly and let him go and, 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 and maybe talk about him at his back or whatever? No, Jesus said, uh, if your brother has uh, trespassed against you, uh, that you should uh, go to him... Uh, alone and you tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Isn't that something? Uh, you go by yourself. Now we're not going to go any further than this because uh, it would not uh, uh, aid in any way in, in, in our subject today. But uh, so if your brother trespasses against you then uh, he says uh, it's your responsibility to go to him. It's never your brother's responsibility. So if you're If you trespassed against your brother, whose responsibility is it? According to Matthew 5, it's my responsibility. All right, if he's trespassed against you, whose responsibility is it cleared up? It's still my responsibility. And where Jesus always puts the responsibility upon the hearer of the word of the Lord. It's my responsibility. It's not my brother's responsibility. So in all cases, it's my responsibility. For this reason then, that when we go down in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is for the remission of sins. It is not for the remission only of your sins, but you are willing to blot out all the trespasses that are against you. And for this reason then, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus and you can identify yourself with the preaching of the cross of the Lord because the cross was a symbol of total forgiveness from the time that Jesus Christ went into the garden of Gethsemane to the time that he he cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sababhani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The whole story is a symbol of forgiveness. Peter took his sword off of his side and cut the ear off of a man. And while Peter was trying to kill the man, Jesus was parting the grass to find the man's ear. And picked up his ear and put it back on him. And he said, now put up your sword... Whosoever liveth by the sword shall also perish by the sword. So in all cases, it is your responsibility to clear it up. Now, if in the event somebody has trespassed against you, and you don't clear it up, and you're not willing to clear it up, now please understand, there are cases in which you can go to people, and they won't talk to you about it, and they're not willing to clear it up. That's a different story altogether. So don't misunderstand me. But you, when you do your responsibility, uh, then then you can live a, a life that's free of condemnation, a life that's clear uh, and such. But let's let's assume that uh, that you are a non-forgiving person, an unforgiving person. Maybe I should say. <clears throat> now, when I look at the epistles of Peter, First Peter and Second Peter, I find some very terrible things that are that are mentioned in those books. Uh, Peter speaks about the children of disobedience. Now, it may amaze you, but Peter was actually talking about church-going people. He really was. Did you know that Satan does his greatest work in the planet Earth among the children of disobedience? He really does. He does his greatest work in the world among the children of disobedience. Basically, what we're saying is that that the consequences of an unforgiving spirit uh, can be so devastating. Uh, if, if all of a sudden then you have a non-forgiving spirit or unforgiving spirit and the cross is removed from your life, it doesn't take you very long to get in uh, real bad shape. I'm in mean, real bad shape. And I think that this is the reason why that, that churches have problems, uh, districts have problems, uh, uh, our organization sometimes has problems because uh, there are certain consequences that come as a result of unforgiving spirits. Now, I think that what you have to do, you, you, you have to look at your life quite often just like you would, uh, uh, your spiritual life that is, just like you would look at your, your physical life, your physical well-being. Let's say all of a sudden you got up in the morning and your head was hurting and uh, you felt that... Uh, uh, just you, you develop something overnight, you're not really for sure what happened, but you got a splitting headache and and uh, uh, maybe you get yourself a good hot cup of coffee and you drink it, and you still have a headache, and you feel like you have cobwebs in your brain and and uh, you don't feel like going to work and by no- by noon you're running a high fever and stiffness in your neck and and uh, two or three days of this, you go to the doctor and you ask the doctor. Uh, to examine you, first he wants to know what's wrong with you. Well, that's really why you went in there. But nevertheless, basically, what he's saying is, uh, I can probably diagnose what's wrong by the symptoms that uh, you have in your body. And so you say, well, I've got uh, a stuffed-up head. I've got a headache, a tension in my neck, muscles are sore, got uh, fever in my body. And so he tells you, well, you have probably have uh, the flu. Now, he diagnosed that uh, based on the symptoms that you have. Now, it's it's surprising to me that some of us can become very spiritually sick and and we think we're well. And we've got all of the symptoms of, of, of something very severe. And, and and the strange thing about it is, you know, a, a man that, these viruses that go around, you know, you have a virus and you just go right out in the public and you sneeze over, all over everybody and shake everybody's hand, hug everybody's neck. Well, you even sit in the church, don't you? You know, one person got sick and after a while, half the church is sick. They really do spread. And so do some of these spiritual things. They, they really spread among us. And, and these things ought not to be. Now... <clears throat> The consequences, then, of an unforgiving spirit. Second Peter, the second chapter, verse 10. Second Peter 2, verse 10. And thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Let's just stop there. Uh, and let's, let's take a look at uh, the first verse that we read, verse 15. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you. Defiled. In other words, your sickness could spread among other people. This thing springs up in you, and you become very, very bitter. Uh, James, the third chapter, then the Bible uh, talks, the whole chapter of James, a third chapter, is talking about the evil of gossip. Uh, there was a time in my life, and I'm going to be just as plain and frank with you as I know how to be. There was a time in my life when I didn't give much thought to talking about people and all of a sudden the Lord began to talk to me about this, and I began to look in the Bible, did you know that uh, a gossip, gossip is uh, the first fruit of a non-forgiving spirit? And uh, I'm going to go just a little bit further to say this, a person who gossips cannot be saved. Now the reason why you cannot be saved is because it is the fruit of a non-forgiving spirit. If you forgive men, not their trespasses. In other words, doesn't it only make sense if you've already forgiven somebody? Uh, then you don't have a legal right to talk about it. I, I make that assumption. That, that sounds logical to me. And I think this is the reason why that the Bible uh, talks so strongly against gossip. So others can be defiled, and some may go to hell simply because that uh, you wag your tongue too much. Remember, what moves the heart wags the tongue. And if the heart cannot be cleansed uh, because the cross has been removed, then your condition, your sickness is getting worse and worse and worse. We talked to you yesterday from the book of James about, uh, about about healing, anointing with awe. If they have committed any sins, they shall be forgiven. Sickness, physical sickness can come and and destroy an individual first corinthians 11 chapter verse 27 through 30 when the apostle paul talks about the lord's supper he said not discerning the lord's table or the lord's body for this cause he said many of you are sick and and some of you are asleep and uh uh, and many of you uh will will die he speaks of this so these are the the symptoms of of a non-forgiving spirit you uh, let's go back over these quickly. Uh, here we can we can have presumptuous sins. We're always trying to figure out every move of people. We become full of vengeance. We have bitterness that that uh, uh, brings about uh, a, a gossip uh, uh, habit. Uh, uh, we can have physical sickness, sickness. We can even we can even experience a, a spiritual death and maybe even a physical death because of the non-forgiveness that uh, we have in in our lives now let me just talk to you just a moment about something that i feel is extremely important the key to get someone to repent if you feel that somebody has sinned against you jesus said in matthew 5 is that you you first go to them and, and and you first forgive that's 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 the answer to it now i had a little situation I don't want to go over my time. My time's running out here, Brother Connor. But uh, I had a little situation, which I mean God really talked to me about this. We had someone that just kept stealing the gasoline from our, our church buses. And I mean, every time we got in the bus they were stealing it. We did everything. The cops uh, came out in the middle of the night and watched the building. And, and we'd get in the bus on Sunday morning and no gasoline. I said, this has got to stop. We even, I found out that a couple of brothers went over to the church and and sat in the back of the church watching the buses two or three nights in a row. Now, I don't know what they would have done if they'd have found somebody stealing the gasoline, but nevertheless, they were eager to, to catch them. Well, uh, <clears throat> they brought the problem to and I, I just didn't know what to do about it. I said, well, let's pray about it. And uh, I said, let's pray that we can, we can catch this individual. So we prayed that somehow this would stop, and, uh, or maybe the person could be apprehended by the cops or or maybe by someone. Would you believe that uh, I went out of town, I think it was on a Monday, and right out in the broad open daylight, when, when our Christian school was in session, a brother drove up, a young man from a church, drove up, and here was a car packed, uh, backed up to the side of the bus, and this young man was siphoning gasoline out right directly into his car. The bus was a little higher. Now, it was broad open daylight, see? As school was in session, cars coming in and out, and, he was just standing there by his car in an nonchalant way. Well, <clears throat> this brother who saw him uh, knew the problem because he had been involved somewhat in, uh, uh, in the bus ministry and, and he was eager to help solve this. So without saying anything, he goes inside and gets our school principal. Well, our school principal is a young man, is in his late 20s, I, I think he's 30 years old, a strong young man, man. And so they go around behind the car and they just walk up and, Grabbed the guy. Caught him red-handed. Here he is. Stealing gasoline. Well, <clears throat> they took him inside. Uh, called, uh, they called the cops, and the cops came out, and so they, the cops wanted to know what they wanted to do with the young boy. And they uh, said, well, we're not really for sure because the pastor's out of town. But he'll be back in a day or two. And so they took the boy, and, and they impounded his car, and took it someplace, I'm not for sure where, and they took him down to the police station. But they, were, they said they'll just put everything on hold until I come back. Let the boy go home. His mother came down. He was, happened to be a minor, And uh, his mother came down and picked him up. And so when I got back, they, they, they brought me the message. Before I even got out of the car, they were standing there. We caught the stealer, the, the guy stealing the gasoline. We got him! And uh, <clears throat> they gave me the, the name of the boy, And uh, they told me, said, uh, all you have to do is call the cops and go down and file charges. Well, I went inside. I thought, I'm just going to, I need to go pray anyway. So, uh, now I I want you to understand one thing. I am not an alarmist. The only time that I really get alarmed is when I'm, I get alarmed over the fact that I don't get alarmed. (laughs) If you can understand that. I'm just not an alarmist. It just, it takes a whole lot to shake me out of my rut. You know, it takes a lot. So I thought, well, we'll we'll go down there. And uh, I don't think I'm a procrastinator, but I'm not an alarmist. So I went and I knelt down and I began to pray. And the Lord began to talk to me. Uh, I had been doing some studying in the Bible on this very subject. And God uh, really did talk to me. Now, I'm not saying that what I did, that you should do in every case. But I think in this case, God was teaching me something that was very profound and something was very scriptural. So as I began to pray and I began to seek the Lord, I uh, got to hold my watch and I said, I've got to go downtown and press charges. All of a sudden the Lord says, Don't press charges. I said, Oh. Well, I didn't really know if I'd heard the voice of the Lord and I was just hearing myself, but it didn't sound like myself. It's, you know, because I... I wanted to press charges. I meant mine. But it didn't sound like myself. So I prayed a little while longer. And I think, I think all of you know that you wrestle sometime, not really knowing if it's the voice of God. But it kept coming up and it kept coming up and it kept coming up. So I yielded to the voice of the Lord. I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I caught myself on the phone. I called the boy's mother. And I said, I'm Pastor Grant from Calvary Gospel Church. And I feel compelled to come over and talk to you about uh, what your son has done. And she says, nope, we don't want to see you. If you're going to press charges, go ahead and press charges. We've had enough of this already. He has done wrong. He knows he's done wrong, but you just go ahead and do whatever you have to do, and he'll pay his penalty. I said, well, ma'am, I th- don't think it's going to be like you think. I said, I- I just, I'd like to come over. I said, please grant me the opportunity to come over. So she said, okay. Got in my car, went over the, to the trailer park where they lived. They live in a trailer park. I went inside and sat down. She was very cold. She got over to the counter and poured her a cup of coffee and lit up a cigarette and smoked one cigarette after the other. She said her boy was uh, taking a shower. Well, he sure took a long shower. And I thought, he doesn't want to talk to me. And... Uh, a few minutes later he came out and he just walked over and sat down in the chair and he looked at me and said what do you want I said well I, said, I came to talk to you about a little situation happened in our church where you came and stole the gasoline he said so and I said now we've been missing gasoline for a long time I just assume you've been getting it he said I didn't have a choice and uh, I said, why didn't you not have a choice? He said, well, old man ran away, and we don't have any, mother, uh, any money, and mother's applied for for uh, welfare and don't have any checks or anything. And he said, I had to go to work. And I said, now, his name was Scott, Scott O'Neill. I said, Scott, I said, uh, I don't believe it's right for you to steal gasoline. So what I. I want to talk to you about, I want you to understand that I fully feel that what you have done is wrong. I said, you know, I have people come by every day, not every day, but real often to my office. And I help a lot of people. I said, if you were in need of money, I said, uh, it would have been so honorable if you just stopped in and uh, just asked me. He said, you wouldn't? I said, yes. In fact, I said, uh, uh, I know the kind of car you have and I've already checked on how much gasoline it takes to fill it up. And uh, I reached in my pocket and I pulled out $27 and I said, I want you to uh, go get you a tank of gasoline and I want you to know that I fully forgive you and uh, I'm not going to press charges against you. His mother uh, got up from where she was and came around and said, did I hear you correctly? I said, yes. And I said, besides that, Scott, would you promise me that from this day on that if you uh, run out of gasoline and you don't have the money, that you'll come to my office and let me buy the gasoline for you? He started weeping. His mother started weeping. She came right over to me and she said, uh, uh, I'm sorry I acted so coldly to you on the phone. She said, uh, I've been sitting here drinking my coffee and smoking the cigarettes, and I haven't even carried on a conversation with you. She said, I, I feel so so terrible. I feel unclean. She said, uh, You mean. You're going to fill up our car with gasoline, and you're going to forgive me? Uh, and I said yes. And the boy started weeping. He came over. He put his arms around me, and he hugged me tightly. He said, "Pastor, I, I never knew anybody could could love like like this." He said. Please forgive me for stealing your gasoline. He said, I vow before God and you and my mother that as long as I live, I'll never steal another thing in my life. His mother came over and hugged my neck also. She said, Oh, she said, I can't believe that we've had such a bad attitude toward your church and toward you. She said, you never did anything to us. Nothing. I don't know why we had such a bad attitude. She said, would you please forgive us? Before I left that day, they had already made arrangements to attend church, our very next service. Isn't it true that John says, we love Him because he first loved us. Amen. Amen. That repentance would be impossible for any man to achieve without the cry that came forth from the barren hill of Golgotha that said, Father, forgive them! Good. For they know not what they do. Brother Fuller made reference to this. But it seems to be that same cry that came forth from the lips of a man that was being stoned that caused the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul, to give some consideration. Stephens had lay not this to their charge. I know that sometimes we say, well, they owe me an apology, they've done me wrong. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that we should initiate the step. We should go. We should offer forgiveness. We should do this. I know my time's up. But Brother Connor, I know that people are tired. You're very tired. Can I just have ten minutes? Just ten minutes. I just need ten minutes. Uh, I, I want to relate this because I run into this as superintendent real often. I had a had a lady that called me and she started telling me all the things her pastor had done that was wrong. Now, I, I don't listen to all these stories. I send people back to their pastor. Receive not the accusation of an elder except by two or three witnesses. This lady started telling me a situation. I felt a little check in the Holy Ghost that I needed to talk with her she told me all the things that her pastor had done that was wrong. He had done some remodeling work and had charged her and she would paid and he didn't finish it all and wouldn't finish it. And he owes me an apology and so forth. And I said, look, i tell you what I want you to do. You remember Monday's lesson when I taught on the Bible, the manual of life? I said, now this is what I want you to do. And I gave you those five easy steps and I said, I want you to take these and I want you to follow these. And I gave her subjects and such to, to look up. And uh, she told me, she said, Now, Wednesday night, she said, We're taking communion. And she said, I don't think my pastor ought to take communion until he asks me for forgiveness. And uh, <clears throat> so I I really talked with her. I said, uh, Well, I, I, we just want to be scriptural in this. And I said, I know that you're interested in the Bible. You wouldn't have called me. And so she she told me, she said, Well, Uh, I am indeed and I told her what to study and how to study and I quoted several scriptures that is the reference of the scripture I didn't quote the scripture and you look them up and so forth she called me back on the phone I'd already told her what scriptures to memorize and she had already memorized several scriptures now what do I do I said I want you to call up your pastor and make an appointment with him for church I want you to go in And I told her, I want you to quote these scriptures before you go because these scriptures diametrically oppose your human nature. Uh, You know, you wouldn't have called me if they didn't. And uh, she found herself knocking on his door after making the appointment. She went in. And she said, "Uh, Brother so-and-so, she said, I've got something I want to discuss with you. She said, I've come to the realization that I've been doing something that possibly caused me to go to hell. What is it? She said, Well, I've called several people in the church and discussed this business proposition we had. And uh, I made uh, you look real bad. Oh, Jesus. And she said, uh, Not only that, I've harbored feelings against you. And she said, Before I take communion tonight, she said, uh, I want to ask you to forgive me. That's as far as she could go because that's all the Scripture asked her to do. She couldn't demand an apology. See? He's her pastor. There, you know, there's just no loyal way that you can rebuke your pastor. That's right. There's no lo- Even if he's done wrong, there's no loyal way that you can take care of it. She's not dealing with just another brother or sister in the church. She's dealing with her pastor. You know what happened? Her pastor started weeping. And he wept and he cried and he sought the Lord. And they together agreed that the work was going to be finished. (laughs) He said, I've done you wrong too. He said, I'm going to come over and do that work. But he said, the reason why I didn't is because you've acted so cold and so nasty toward me. And I know that you've run and told everybody. But did you know what they did? They buried the hatchet right there. And I can truthfully say this because I monitored the situation real well. She called and told me about this, but the pastor came and told me. See, he had called me about her a couple of times too. He said, did you know that this woman... That's been doing nothing but writing bad letters and gossiping and everything, she has turned out to be the one of the best saints that I have ever pastored. And as a result, he said, He said, We're having revival in our church. He said, We're having revival like I never thought. He had several home Bible studies. Now, what was she gonna do? She's gonna walk in there with her cross. I have the power to forgive you, even if you have done wrong. And she really thought that he had. Now, I can take that cross down and not forgive you, but then when I look back to the hill of Golgotha, knowing that I need Calvary because I'm still human, and knowing that this corruption has not yet put on incorruption... And this mortal has not yet put on immortality. When I look back to the hill of Golgotha and when I've removed your cross for you, then I don't see one for myself. It's gone. The hill is empty. I had a... I taught this in New York City, or I preached this in New York City. I was preaching it then, and I had a young minister to come to me, and he said, "Brother Grant, this is my salvation." He said, Why? Well, he came from the southeast. Here's a man. He and his pastor were buddies. I'm a little hesitant to tell something like this, but I, I you hear of things like this, so. Uh, Well, it's not a common occurrence. Things like this do happen. But He said, when I came to New York City, I made up my mind. I was dropping out of the ministry. I was giving up. He said, I have had so much bitterness in my heart, I can't even praise it. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, my pastor and I were real bosom buddies. And not only that, he was also my presbyter. He said, uh, my pastor ran away with my wife. And he said, every time I prayed, I caught myself wanting to kill it. I really wanted to kill it. He said, I've lived with this hatred and this bitterness now. He said, I have done everything I can to see that man burn in hell. Now, he said, my wife has lived long enough with him that they have a child. And he said, every time I think about it, he said, I almost go insane. I've caught myself walking in the parks at night. I've knelt on the park benches and screamed. I've considered taking a gun and blowing my brains out. But only after blowing his out. He's done me wrong. But he said, I know what I've got to do. He said, I found in my heart tonight, for the first time, I found in my heart tonight the ability to forgive him. He said, in fact, when I got up from the altar, after sobbing and weeping tonight, he said, I can truthfully say that all that bitterness is gone. I want to be saved. I want to preach the gospel. What he did was not right. But he said, all the things that I held against him, all of the hatred and all of the bitterness, and all of the vengeance, he said, it was destroying me. And God spoke to me, if this all turns it even with the situation that you have, if you cannot forgive, neither can I forgive you of your trespasses. Now this may not seem logical to you, but it's really a release. Why go through life under such a strain and a burden of carrying the sins of everybody in the church on your shoulder? And live under that horrid condemnation. In the city where I pastor, brother and sister Yachts, when they left, they left a the daughter who had run away from home. That defied; she had defied her parents' authority. She lived a very rough life. We were down in Texas at my mother-in-law's passing away. My wife's mother passed away, and we received word that. Linda, Brother Yance's daughter, had been killed in a car accident. Now, Linda, just a few short weeks before that, had come back and prayed through at the altar. She had received the Holy Ghost. She was baptized, I think, when she was three years old. She called Brother Yance and says, Dad, I was baptized when I was so little. I just want Brother Grant to rebaptize baptize me. And Brother Yance and I talked about it. He begged me, said, well, go ahead and rebaptize her. Now, we don't make a practice of that, but she was so young. She said, I don't even remember it. So I rebaptized her. But she had some friends of the world. While we were in Texas, she got in a car with a young man who was drunk. And he was going down the road, and it went around the curve, and the car flipped over and hit a tree, and Linda was killed instantly. Brother Siasse made their way to, to Madison and they no more than got in the funeral home and viewed the body of their daughter and it was gone. She's gone forever. Well, I'm not trying to pass any judgment one way or the other upon Linda. You understand that. Somebody walked up and got a hold of Brother Yance's hand said, I want to talk with you. Led him aside and said, My son is in the hospital and he wants to talk with you. Brother Young got his wife with the arm and said, This boy wants to talk with us tonight. Said, no, we don't want to go. I don't want to see the boy. I never want to see him. He killed my daughter. I never want to see this boy. Again. well the man insisted he said we just can't do that the man said please he wants to see you they walk in the room and the boy starts sobbing and crying he's got all kinds of machines hooked up on him he said come a little closer with you And they walked up there. There's a mother and there's a dad. The daughter has been killed through his intoxication. And this boy says, I just couldn't live any longer without asking you this one question. Will you forgive me? And here is the cross of Calvary that these precious people bear every day that's standing out before that man. It's the only cross he has ever seen because he knows not God. Now, Brother Yance, you know your feelings. Sister Yance, you know how you hated to come here. Are you going to take that cross away, the only one he's going to see? But remember, if you take it away, then when you look back toward the hill, it's going to be empty too. There's not going to be one for you. What are you going to do, Pastor? What are you going to do, Dad? What are you going to do, Mom? What's your answer? They dropped their heads. But God said, squeeze her hand and said, Honey, Joanne, I really don't want to, but I've got Jesus had not forgiven us where would we be without Calvary's cross was not it the master in Luke 17 that said except a man take up his cross daily and follow after me he cannot be My disciple. And that cross stands out before the world as a symbol of death also. It says, I have died. It's not the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He died so that we could die. And if the world sees our cross Our death, they can see past that also to the empty tomb. He lives. He lives. He lives. But if you take away that cross in your life, they don't see your resurrection either. Let me tell you something if somehow we as a collective body could get a hold of the teaching of forgiveness we would experience a unification among us unequaled in all the world and can I say one other thing it's necessary in order to have revival let's pray I uh-huh.